Hi, my name is Mark Aldrich. I'm a co-host on the web series The Happy Hour Guys. Together with Gunhill Brewing out of the Bronx, we created the Curtain Up Beer Project, an open-source hazy IPA that raises money for arts and entertainment workers unemployed by the pandemic for over a year. Go to curtainupbeer.com to find out more. We're asking breweries everywhere to help us give a hand to people in need. I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. Springtime is made for saisons, and over the last few months, I've been drinking a lot of beers made by Fair Isle Brewing in Washington. The brewery's founders, Andrew Pogue and Jeffrey Barker, are my guests today, and we're talking fruit, wood, time, and inspiration. First, a reminder to check out BeerEdge.com for articles, our merch shop, episodes of the Beer Edge podcast, and more. Plus, you can follow Beer Edge on social media at the Beer Edge and catch up on all things smoked beer on the This Week in Rauk Beer page on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And always defend Pilsner. You can learn a lot about advertising and supporting this work by reaching out to Liz Melby on email. She's always available at Liz at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you through support from NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. And while many beer clubs are great for gifting beer, the Rare Beer Club is especially suited for beer enthusiasts and brewers looking for access to rare and often exclusive craft beers. They've stood the test of time since 1994, in large part due to their commitment to quality. Once curated by the beer hunter himself, Michael Jackson, the club prides itself in living up to Michael's reputation. I can vouch for them here. I've sampled me some pretty cool stuff over the years, including an Oak Age Saison from Jolly Pumpkin created exclusively for club members. Their personalized shipment program allows you to customize each shipment and skip beers you don't want to get. Get 50% off your first shipment when you sign up for an open-ended ongoing membership at BeerMonthClub.com and use promo code DRINKRAREBEER. There's a two-shipment minimum. And by Athletic Brewing Company. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. There are some remarkable beers coming out of Fair Isle in Seattle. Delightful farmhouse-inspired ales that play heavy into culinary inspiration, time and wood are stainless, and a house culture that brings some wonderful characteristics to each beer. Andrew Pogue and Jeffrey Barker co-founded the brewery a few years ago and have worked to bring some of the niche beers that speak to them as drinkers and creators and artists to the local beer scene. Judging by the following they've amassed, I'd say it's working. There's the use of local fruits, of specialty malts from artisanal farms, and a creative streak to bring familiar, 
yet distinctive flavors to each bottle. And because there's three of us, we've recorded over Zoom, so there's the usual technology bothers that come up now and again, and I apologize for that. Still, there are some threads in this show that harken over to Steal the Spear, thanks to a blind tasting, and the ever-popular This Week in Rauk Beer, so I hope you enjoy those homages. They both spoke to me from Washington State. Here's our conversation. I was thinking about, in, in reading your bios before we, we, we started this, uh, this, this interview um, or this conversation, I, I was reading your bios and I was really sort of struck about the two worlds, the two different worlds that you both came from, um, you know, Andrew in, in architectural photography uh, and Jeffrey, you in, in uh, IT. And I, I, I wonder where the balance is in the beers that you make between art and process? I'd, I'd say a huge part of it is art. Um, well, I've been an IT guy for many years. Uh, I've also been a potter and a jeweler and a gardener and a cook and a you know, whole bunch of other, other things. I'm very easily distracted and interested in how <laughs> things work. Um, and, and so, although I made a career as an IT guy for years, I don't really think of myself as being, at least not strictly speaking, an engineer type personality. Um, and, and I mean, that definitely, that engineer aspect is definitely there and it's very strong and, uh, it helps to have that in terms of, as I was saying earlier, keeping equipment running and, and things like that. Uh, or or deciding how equipment should be configured or built, um, but in the end, the uh, the actual act of making the beer probably comes more from you know culinary influences and uh, um, and other like artistic endeavors. Um, that's my my perspective on it. I think where they do merge is the kind of intentionality and detail behind the beers. Um, so not choosing ingredients on the whim or not making um, decisions about a beer um, like a last minute or fly by the night kind of decisions. And so there is that kind of like planning aspect of the beer, but at the same time, um, the art being kind of the hands off, allowing the yeast and the beers to develop in their own manner and us um, reacting towards that sometimes. I feel like that's probably the intersection of the two. I guess I, when it comes to the type of beers that you're making, and you're making uh, wild beers and farmhouse style saisons and um, beers that really draw off of nature and that need time, um, when you start thinking about a new beer or something that you want to create, where does that conversation start? Where does that thought process start? You want to lead that one, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, I think um, lots of it's either through, um, I guess first, uh, when we start thinking about a new beer, um, we were doing that today in our production meeting. Um, it's me, Jeffrey, and then Nick, our head brewer, and then Matt, our sister brewer. So it is very much a collaborative effort. Um, and so when we start thinking about a beer, lots of times like inspiration from maybe something we've done in the past either um, through Jeff and I's homebrew years or, you know, Nick and Matt's experience at other breweries. Um, maybe it's a beer that we've had from other breweries that we kind of are intrigued by. Um, and lots of it's just actually uh, driven by a specific ingredient. 
um, or even maybe like a specific, uh, let's say like a beer that's been aging in a barrel for a while. Um, and so that's kind of where it starts. And then um, a lot of it really depends on, you know, where this beer is, where we are in the seasons of like what's available as far as other ingredients, um, how long we want this beer to, to maybe spend an oak before it's released or not touch oak at all, or, you know, kind of like the, the, the essentially the trajectory of the beer. Um, so, it, I don't know, comes from a bunch of different angles. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's kind of probably maybe where most of the inspiration comes from, or at least maybe the beginning of the beer, so to speak. Um, like for an example, we were thinking about different beers right now to release at our anniversary next January. So that's kind of like the timeline that we think about beers, you know, about nine months in advance, sometimes even okay. longer. And so we're kind of planning like what would what would we be excited about, um, you know, for our anniversary beers and then kind of working backwards, like, well, what's going to be available, you know, three, four months, five, six months ahead of time. What do we have available in our stock of beer sitting around in barrels? What would we want to create for new stock? So a lot of it is kind of like this kind of meshing between a bunch of different factors of, you know, what's available, what do we have, ingredients, and also just time. The, the, the time factor is so interesting to me because when you are making the type of beers that that that, that you both are, it's, it's not like, okay, we're going to have a, a, a new hazy IPA ready in four days, six days, whatever it is. Um, you, you're, 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 you're not thinking in terms of days. Normally you're thinking in terms of months or even longer. Correct. Yeah. Like we kind of, uh, joke around with, not joke around, but like, uh, get a kick out of like when people do collabs and, you know, they're brewing a collab now, releasing collab in about a week or two, like that concept is just foreign to us. We move at a completely different pace. It's, it's really humorous when some um maltster comes out with a, a new malt and this is a for example sort of thing they'll come out with a malt and kind of put it out to the population of brewers and say hey we're thinking about launching this malt we'd like to give everybody enough to make a batch uh and uh, we're going to serve all these beers in one place here in three and a half weeks and <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess that leaves us out <laughs> uh, but, but that sort of thing it, yeah it's just part of uh, uh part of our work really when you guys are are well let me back up just a little bit because um in what is i think a first on this particular show uh as you guys were talking uh you were nice enough to send some beer in advance and i had a, there's a an unmarked unlabeled uh 750 green bottle um that i was intrigued by just because i knew absolutely nothing about it and so i thought hey it'll be fun to open this on the show uh while i'm talking to you guys um and and silly me i got a beer shower as um uh when, when, when i opened it so um which is you know lovely and, and 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 delightful but i think a first for this particular show um do you have any idea what it is in this in this in this bottle that i'm that i'm drinking yeah, so that's our Grzynski inspired Saison called Franz Meredith. Um, it's brewed with 100% um, wheat and about 85% of that wheat being um, an oak smoke malt from Skadja Valley Malting. Yeah, I was going to, I was hoping there's smoke in this. Otherwise, I was going to be uh, worried. Uh. Yes, a lot of smoke. <laughs> yeah, so we haven't released that beer yet. Um, we're kind of like looking at an anticipated date around early may so i apologize for not sending you more information about that label yet no that's awesome that's i i 
love the choose your own adventure kind of thing. I I love the uh, uh, the the surprise behind it. Um, so when you're thinking about though months and months in advance, and you guys use a lot of uh, uh, fruits in your beers and a lot of produce and a lot of uh, outside beer flavors. Um, you can't, you know, if, if somebody's releasing a peach IPA in the middle of peach season, then, you know, that's, that's cool. That sort of like hits the, uh, the general consciousness. Um, if you guys are going to brew with peaches or, you know, do something like that, um, it's going to, it's going to take a while. Um, do, do you hold on to it for a year until peach season rolls around again? Do you, how do you think about when to release certain beers that have seasonal flavors to them? Yeah, typically, I mean, it is difficult. Um, uh, you know, we like to release beers. Um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. We uh, <laughs> uh, we want to uh, produce beers that kind of hearken to a specific place where they were brewed or where the ingredients came from, but also the time that they were brewed in the year. Uh, but as, as we've discussed, some of these beers take uh, a long time to produce and um, and you can't serve the beer um, really well connected to the time that it was it was made. So uh, it's we're more interested, I think, in that time and place that it was brewed rather than the time and place that it was served. And we we do have, you know, some leeway as to when we'll we'll pour something it, it uh has kind of changed in the marketplace uh, in the last couple of years, but you you know you typically wouldn't serve a stout in the middle of summer, and maybe you wouldn't serve a peach beer in December. Um, but I think there's also some flexibility there. So uh, making the decision about when to release the beer uh, becomes this kind of calculus of what other beers do we have to release, what do we have on on tap and in bottles at the moment that's that's currently released. Um, when and when and where was this beer made? Um, and it's it's uh, it's it's not random, but it's somewhat ad, ad hoc. It's uh, some of those decisions happen uh, when the beer is being made, and then some of those decisions happen uh, when the beer is frankly ready to be served. Um, yeah. Well, we when do hold on yeah. to a lot of beer. Like um, we we're not necessarily like we've. The beer is ready now. Serve it. Um, so there is this. There is somewhat of this idea of that we have, because we have such a timeline and we have such a, um, so to speak, a stock of beer in the timeline yeah. that it does give us a little bit of freedom to, you know, make a decision of like let's hold on to this beer another month or two, or so that we want to release it a certain particular time or, and at an event. So it is by nature of like kind of working in these like a slow time frame we also are have the freedom to continue to work in the slow time frame when we release a beer but you also i i imagine for bottle sales for when the tap room eventually reopens and you know like life gets back to normal or you know like opens in a you know in a in a, in a meaningful way like where we're all back to to life um you want to have diversity on on a on a list, right? So are you taking that into account of what will be on with each other or what will be available with each other at the same time? We do. And even when we brew beer, um, 
knowing like the timeline of a batch of beer will determine on like what recipes we create so that we do have diversity so that we do have like a an oak aged beer with fruit or an oak aged beer without fruit or something that's like a, you know sub five percent with something that's maybe more hot forward with something that's got these different profiles so we are looking at that diversity and that's affecting how we brew and what we are releasing and when we release it you know okay. even sorry yeah even, i tell you you jump in there yeah i was i, was. I just got paused <laughs> um i um at, at the same time that it takes a long time to make these beers, we're still revisiting these very questions on essentially a weekly basis with our production staff. And so, so every week we, we go through uh, what's going into a fermenter, what's coming out of a fermenter, uh, what's going into uh, oak, what's going into a package, uh, when is uh, the next batch of fruit showing up, uh, and we explore it's kind of a long meeting to be honest. It, and it, it, it happens every single week, even though we've got these long timelines for our, our production pipeline, we, we still have to kind of visit each one of these questions on a weekly basis. When I, I the thing that I, that I, I continue to struggle with um, when I think about uh wild beers when I think about um, uh, barrel aged and you know things that that really do require time and months of time um, is there how do you know when something's ready hmm. we we taste through all of these beers kind of on a, a a bit of a schedule from you know when the wort first goes into the tank to uh uh, a week after, and then three weeks after, and um, then a month and a half, and then they, you know, at some point they go into a package, and we start tasting those every every week or two weeks or four weeks, um, and uh, and the answer to that question ultimately is when it's ready. Um, yeah, but what does that What does that mean? Well, when, when all, all of those beers during that tasting process, you know, the wort tastes a particular way, the young beer tastes a particular way, and we, we, um, it, tastes, it tastes young to us. It has uh, these phenolic characters that are eventually polished up by elements of our culture. And so when we taste something through and we taste a little bit of a bubblegum character, a little bit of a clove, we, you know, that's, that's characteristic of where this beer is now and where it should be at this point in time. Um, and then we taste the beer again in two or three weeks and that phenolic character has been converted into something else. Um, and, and honestly, the beers will just continue to change. Um, uh, even once they're into the bottle, there are these same kinds of, of story arcs where uh, the beer is tasting amazing this week and we taste it the following week and, and some metabolic process from uh, the culture has converted something into something else and now it's not as cool as it was before but we we've done enough of this that we can kind of anticipate those um, peaks and valleys um, and so you know we've, we've tasted enough that we have a sense for how it's tasting now and whether or not that's a you know a nominally stable place for the beer um, and, and once you get to that stable place, the changes that come after 
you you know, you understand and expect that those peaks and valleys will be much more shallow. And so that's kind of what that means. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, did that make sense? It did to me. Good, good. And then part of it's just the the mindset of the creators that, you know, make these beers. So like we have, um, like our house stays on Madame Margal. Like we want it to be uh, consumed fresh and enjoyed fresh. And um, fresh for us is a different definition. It means it's about two, three months in bottle. But like that flavor profile that we enjoy um, out of these, particularly these some of these saisons, like that's what we want people to enjoy um, versus, you know, it's fantastic four or five months into the cellar, but you know, the intention behind the beer is not to like have uh, this thing sit forever. Um, let's, you know, have this one released at this time and date and consumed at the time and date. While another beer we really kind of make from the beginning to um, be enjoyed at a different time. So a lot of it's just like a decision we make um, as kind of the people making the beer. In some ways, it's, it's not much different than developing the recipe for the beer. As, as Andrew said, there's like there's three or four. We would have, say, three or four beers, each with different um, maturity dates, if you will. And, uh, and, and that beer is going, the, the younger beer that we're going to release because we, we like it where it is now, is going through some of those same uh, peaks and valleys that I talked about before. Um, but there, there is that one sweet spot that we, we feel like that should be shared with people. And so that, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's when the beer is finished and sometimes it's, it's in one of those windows where we think this is what people should experience. Just like developing the recipe. More with Jeffrey and Andrew in a minute. But first, a word of thanks to this episode's sponsors. And I hope you'll give them a closer look. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And the Rare Beer Club is especially suited for beer enthusiasts and brewers looking for access to rare and often exclusive craft beers. Get 50% off your first shipment when you sign up for an open-ended, ongoing membership at beermonthclub.com and use promo code DRINKRAREBEER. And now, back to the conversation with Andrew Pogue and Jeffrey Barker of Fair Isle Brewing in Washington. Is there, and I guess I should have asked this before, asked when things are ready, but is 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 there a commonality in your beers? Is there a house DNA? Is there something that you feel is unique to the brewery um, that people who taste through everything that you're doing or over the years and over the months um, might start to hone in on? Andrew? Yeah, I think so. Um You've maybe having the the Grzynski is not the perfect example for this one. What, um, but what, what is what is the ABV on this, by the way? Uh, it's three point seven. Fantastic, because this this glass is emptying very very quickly, and I yeah, still so have a work you, day ahead of me. What do you taste in that beer outside uh, of the smoke? 
There, there is a fruitiness to it. Um, uh, yeah, almost like a like a ripened banana kind of thing that I'm that I'm that I'm getting off like a ripened banana peel, hmm. like faintly. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's coming off, but I, I definitely get that. And I don't know. I'll have to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. So, like our house culture produces. Um, we like to think about it like um, a combination of Meyer lemons, um, fairly floral uh, notes of apricot and peaches. It's kind of like more the fruit dominant flavor profiles. Um, it is um, dry, but not bone dry. So typically finishes around like half a, de- half a degree Play-Doh. Um, so there's some like perceived sweetness left to these beers. Uh, and then... Um, and then there's a, a fair amount of tartness, but it's in no way sour. Um, so all of our beers have does have like a acid level to it, but it's um, it's not a cascade or you know a cricket stave, so to speak. Um, but there is kind of like a tartness um, because it is a mixed culture of wild yeast and bacteria. And I think that underlying thing. And then from there, we've been able to nudge it in different directions and use ingredients. Um, that kind of allow different parts of the culture to shine. Jeffrey, what about for you? Uh, you know, I actually didn't say anything because there's not. I didn't <laughs> think there was a lot to add. Okay, uh, no, that's fine. I think, I think I said said that pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I think you covered that just fine. What are What are the origins of your house culture? This is Andrew um, can speak to this one too. Yeah, so there's a fair amount of um, commercial yeast uh, in there, which is why we call it feral, um, because uh, <laughs> like feral things, um, things were once wild, then became domesticated and now wild again. Um, so about I don't know, five years ago, maybe by now, um, we when Jeffrey and I were kind of uh, experimenting and doing a bunch of pilot batches before the brewery started. Um, we were working with this culture that um, we kind of developed by propagating a bunch of flowers from across Washington. Um, so one's near Lake Washington, um, on the east side, uh, near outside of Yakima, where a lot of the vineyards are, then also cultures from around um, where the brewery is today in Ballard. Um, and so those cultures, those flowers were propagated up just through, um, you know, sensory analysis and natural selection and added to these cocktail of once you know commercially uh isolated yeast strains into a, a cocktail that we've basically been using for several hundred different batches we pitch from one batch to the next um and so there's uh, to some degree we don't really know what's in it anymore we kind of had somewhat of an idea going into it um but now that it's many 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 generations old um it's kind of become its own thing as you think about the origin um, of the brewery, Seattle, I, I've always thought of it as you know, one of the great beer destinations in the country um, and, and going back for a long time. And there's some wonderful history uh, with a lot of breweries that have been around for, you know, a long time and helped establish a, a national beer culture. And, you know, I think of places like Pike um, uh, and, and, and what they did Um uh, to, to, to sort of further on beer. When, when you were thinking about opening, was it always going to be a farmhouse inspired brewery or was it a niche that you wanted to fill in, in the town? What, what was the, how did you land on 
the type of brewery that you became. Yeah, I'll was, speak. Well, yeah, go, go for, ahead. Go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say that for for myself, um, I never really thought of myself as a beer drinker until somebody put a farmhouse beer down in front of me, and and then it went from how do you get those flavors out of the same ingredients to a realization that this was like an extremely deep and extremely wide rabbit hole uh, and something that I could spend, you know, another career's worth of time exploring. And so, so yeah, it went from, Oh, that beer is nice to, I think I'm going to start a brewery. Um, and so you can't sneeze at that, that, uh, that impetus was really big for me. And so it, for me, at least it was always going to be a farmhouse or a sour brewery of some kind. Um, and I'm, I'm really pleased with kind of where it landed in this more kind of saison farmhouse range, as opposed to, you know, a very sour beer, um, just because of where my palate is these days. Um, I think I had more to say, but I've forgotten exactly what it was. Does that get, you, get at your question, really? I, I, I think so. I mean, Andrew, obviously, yeah, we wanted, you know, yeah. Yeah, we really wanted to fill a niche, um, both as a, you know, beer drinkers in Seattle who really love this style, weren't having lots of options, especially five years ago when we kind of started the ball rolling on this project. And then also just on the nature of starting a business, this is a business and we've always both navigated towards things that are a lot more niche oriented and feel like there's a lot of value in starting a, a niche brewery. And also knowing that, you know, we are, the beer market is a mature market um, now. It's not um, young anymore. And beer drinkers also palates have changed a lot. And thankfully we also are in a time and place that we can do a niche brewery. Um, you can do a lager brewery now and just serve lagers and do that really well. And um, and so the same idea being um, a farmhouse saison inspired brewery, um, we felt like there was a huge gap in the market for that. Um, we did a bunch of market research on that, but also just felt like it was a lot, I won't say easier, but um, maybe more straightforward to wrap our heads around a project that was a niche versus um, we make everything. Um, we're in Ballard, there's 11 or more breweries within walking distance that do amazing IPAs and loggers and hazies and all these other things like Seattle doesn't need another brewery that does that. Um, yeah. So why, you know, why join that market, you know, be kind of have our own voice and be different. But I, I love Jeffrey, what you were saying on falling into Saison and farmhouse and not necessarily you know, sour um, because I, I know that there's a lot of places that start up and say, okay, we're going to have a sour program. Um, and they, they really go heavy on the acidity. They go really heavy on the, mm -hmm. you know, on, on the, 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 taste bud smacking tartness. Um, yeah. and, and every beer that I've had from, 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 from your brewery has been, you know, really thoughtful and really measured and just, you know, it, 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 it I'm normally like taken away to like a really nice spring afternoon at like a cafe in Belgium. Um, when I'm tasting a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, um, yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I can't take away from those very sour breweries. It, uh, those are the beers that actually kind of hooked me that, that had me fascinated in the first place. 
but uh, at least for my own palate, as it developed over time, um, it was, uh, I felt like I didn't really need a beverage that screamed at me that way, uh, that I, that I was more interested in what those flavors were, but then being able to kind of tease them out individually and understand them. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, the IPAs for a long time were, you know, how many hops can we get into this thing and the hot sauces or how, <laughs> how much of your face can I blow off? Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like sours, it's, I think that's something about the American culture is that, you know, we, we want to go to these extreme places and, and I have always really, the extreme place I want to go to is balance, uh, to try to find something where I can get, uh, you know, some complexity out of it rather than just a single aspect of it kind of screaming at me or, or ripping the enamel off of my teeth or, yeah. Um, is it a hard yeah, sell I, to consumers, to drinkers? I don't think so personally. I, I know that we do have the occasional person who comes into the brewery and, and says, you know, what's your most sour beer? And, and we, uh, we, you know, we gently steer around that. Uh, and, and as far as I know, everybody who asked that question and, you know, has one of the beers is, is pleased with it. It's not exactly what they were looking, looking for in the first place, but you know, they walk away with, um, um, more. I, I keep thinking about this this interview you just did with Sean Burke uh, from Four something. I Forland. Terrible. Yeah. Forland. Thank you. Terrible with names. Um, and and he was talking about that a little bit. Um, I got so distracted by the name of the brewery that I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Unbalanced. I hate that. Yeah. And uh, oh, and and encouraging people to, you know, try something that they they hadn't had before. He was talking about his experience at the Commons mm -hmm. and that uh, a huge part of his his work, at least in that context, and I think in others, is that he has to uh, educate. And that's part of the deal. And so, um, you know, it just somebody comes in looking for an IPA, not even a specific IPA, but just an IPA. And that's not what the commons had. It's not what we've got. Uh, and he, you know, he talked about how he would, um, he and his staff would try to aim people at something that, uh, you know, he that thought they would uh, find interesting. And yeah. uh, and that that's how he kind of developed his customer base. And we went into this with that same understanding that not everybody's going to even understand what a farmhouse beer. I shoot. I, I hardly know exactly what an, uh, a farmhouse beer is at this point. It's such a, such a mobile definition. Um, and ultimately you just have to get people to try the beers and decide for themselves. And so I, so I don't think it's been a hard sell at all. It's uh, it has been a, a more of an, a matter of education rather than selling. The, the, the notion of farmhouse and, and, you all address this on, on your website of saying, you know, yes, we're in a city. Yes, we're far from a farmland. You know, it's, 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 it's an idea, um, you know, or it's, mm -hmm. it's a feeling in some ways. Um, with that in mind, um, I wonder if you can go a little bit deeper of you know, what does farmhouse mean in beer these days? Or what mm -hmm. does farmhouse mean for you? Andrew, do you have a better answer for this than I've ever had? Maybe. Um, so we don't call ourselves a farmhouse brewery, 
because we are in a farmhouse brewery, we think that's more reserved for people that actually are on a farm making ingredients from the farmland they're on. Yeah. Um, but we do make these beers that we call in the grand scheme of things, farmhouse. Um, and part of these styles is, is a marketing item and it's to help convey to the customer, like what we're about. Um, we are very much tied to the farmers and the producers that are making our grains, that are making the hops, that are making everything that we put into the beers. And because of that, um, it's kind of like what that means to us. It's like, we know the farmers that um, grow the grains. We know all the maltsters that malt our ingredients. We um, are gonna go visit the farmer later this week that does all of our berries that we um, use in our beers, that we've met the winemakers and the vineyards that grow the grapes for the beers. And so I, I feel like for us, it's very much like it's tied to the people that make everything. And it's tied to the time and place that everything's made. So we're not using um, ingredients that aren't kind of basically grown in the Pacific Northwest. Um, on the occasion, we'll pull in something that we're really excited for, but 99% of everything that goes in our beers, you know, made in our, um, our neck of the woods, so to speak. And I feel like that's, I feel like that mindset um, is kind of what we carry on from um, the farmhouse brewery world. And at the same time, I feel like, I mean, I agree with all of that. And at the same time, I feel like there's something still hanging or unsatisfying about uh, what, uh, what does that mean for, like, what is the flavor of a farmhouse beer? Is there, uh, is there, a, is there a, I don't know, a style, uh, style guideline that you can use that uh, will fit? And I, I honestly don't feel like there is. Um, I, I think you can taste these beers with the conceptual understanding that Andrew just described. But if you've never had one before, you're going to go into the actual tasting aspect of it pretty blind. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I don't feel like I've still, after like five or six years of struggling with this question, really come up with a satisfying, um, concise way to describe uh, what that first time drinker is going to experience when they taste one of these beers you're able to tell a really fun story through a lot of your beers to a lot of the small batch small crafted malts that you're using and given your brewery size um given your relationship with with with, with various maltsters um what what's exciting about using some of these smaller batches of malts and what have you come across recently that you're really excited to share the story of and, and, and talk with people about um, malt wise? I feel like at least personally, I wish Nick was here to answer that question. <laughs> um, Nick's your Andrew, head brewer. You, yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. I feel like what excites us is a few things. Like one, one is um, being tied to the person um, and yeah. the kind of the, the whole environment and ecosystem, even like the financial ties of, you know, of working with someone um, in the area that we operate in. Like we see those huge value of, of kind of like the whole um, economics of, you know, working with the producer that, um, is not terribly far from you. 
Um, and so that's exciting to us, but also there's, um, there's a, like a beautiful variety of nuance that you just, um, even working with lots of different maltsters. So even though you have like a barley that's grown on the Skagit Valley side, that tastes a little different than a barley grown in like Eastern Washington, which is different than maybe like the salmon safe barleys that we are using with, um, main stem malt, which is a little different than Mecca grade. So everybody, I mean, just in the, in the same way of like buying fruit from someone else, there's all these little microclimates and geographies and they all have like a little fun nuances with the beer. So it gives you like um, a whole new palette of ingredients and, and um, notes to play with as you create beers. Um, that's to me exciting. So instead of using the same commodity grains everybody else is using, you can um, you have a lot more like maybe um, shades or vibrancy, so to speak, to your palate. Um, and that's kind of, kind of the beauty of working with small micro um, suppliers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're thinking about barrels as well, because in wood, because that's such an important ingredient um, to your beers. What do you look for? What is it? Is it mostly oak? Is it? Are, are, are you experimenting with other woods? Um, is there something that you find your beers do better in than others? I, uh, the better thing I, um, I would say, no, it's more a matter of variety and um, uh, varied complexity in our, in our product line. Uh, we, we've worked primarily with oak at this point, but we've got uh, some Missouri white oak fooders from fooder crafters and we've got um french oak punchins and uh bariques from a variety of wine producers um uh fairly local folks for the most part uh and then we're using spirit barrels from uh, another variety of of locations um and and from from my perspective anyway it's it's a it's just another ingredient palette um we, we will sometimes make a, a batch of beer, uh, 15 barrels of, of something, and then we'll split half of it off to wood and half of it will stay in stainless and maybe uh, end up on fruit at some point down the road. And so it's, you know, we can end up, we can start with one batch of beer, but end up with three, maybe four even in some cases, uh, just by uh, curating uh, the uh, kind of the secondary ingredients like the fruits or the barrels um and uh yeah so it's a uh, it, it's another ingredient component from my perspective more than just about anything else andrew barrel thoughts yeah echoing what jeffrey says uh, i don't I, I don't think like, i like how in sync you two are i mean it bodes well i think for the business overall but just, it does uh, yeah yeah it also makes my job easier so thank you oh good good yeah <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think like that oak is superior than stainless per se it's just it's a, another ingredient it happens to be cheaper than than stainless too which is also has its benefits it's porous and holds our culture and provides a lot of other things that we really enjoy. Um, but yeah, to me, it's just a variety thing. Um, like it, it's a, um, yeah, exactly what Jeffrey said. So the difference between, you know, a beer that we really like 
in stainless, but let's, you know, side stream some of it to a Copperworks uh, gym S cask is going to be very different than if we wanting to put it into a, a puncheon um, that's like French oak, which is going to be very different than something that came out of our Missouri oak fruiters. So um, it goes back to just recipe formation and deciding what we want the beer to be and the intention behind it and, and the direction that we're wanting to head in terms of everything involved with a beer from flavor to time. Um, and so working with different oak, um, working with different fermentation vessels, it just allows us to play with that flavor um, in different ways. Yeah, and where, and where we sit now is not necessarily the end of the road, it's certainly not the end of the road. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that I've, I've been a potter in the past and I have yeah. plans to uh, produce some um, ceramic uh, uh, amphora uh, for you know some small batch sorts of things probably not the the very large um amphora that i think some of your list, listeners have seen yeah. from uh um uh, oh shoot i'm trying to remember the name of the winery um beckham winery yeah um but there you know those those are likely in our future uh i'm and you're gonna make them about yeah yeah it's, i mean I, I like to make things and so that's uh, we, we could buy them, but it'd be a whole lot more fun to make them. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, and that yeah, at some point we'll build our own cool ship, uh, et cetera, just because that building aspect is really fun. Um, but I'm also curious about like uh, keeping on this ingredient idea for a second. Um, it not all barrels are oak, and some you've got greek wine barrels for retsina that are made out of pine and um uh i'm trying to think of some of the other ones we've i'd be really interesting to talk to a cooper and possibly have somebody make something for us with a, a pacific northwest wood like say alder or something like that mm -hmm. uh, and so i you know it's i think just watch this space we'll see what happens with any of those things that's really that that that's exciting um as this glass continues to empty very, very quickly, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. Aside from from this Graditsky, uh, what else might be coming up? What what might be in a in a barrel or stainless right now that you're really excited to welcome into the world and get in front of people? I'd say it feels so, like such a cheat to answer that question right now because it's going to be six <laughs> eight months before that shows up, but. Um, I think one of the beers that I'm uh, we've um, one of the beers that we sent you was Piotr, which is uh, a saison that we uh, aged in uh, peated whiskey casks from yeah, I saw distilling. that. Yeah, and and we're all obviously very fond of smoke, the entire production team, and so we we sometimes feel like we're kind of overdoing that. Um, but uh, I can point you to doing. a Facebook group who uh, who disagree that you're that you're overdoing it. They they, oh, they good, want good, more. Good. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, well, so one of the one of the conversations that we had during our production meeting this morning was it's actually a, a different idea was to take Claude, which is our saison with white peaches, and and put it onto gin barrels. Um, but I'm I'm similarly uh, curious about how peaches would land on Piotr. Um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, grilled very, peaches very, are, are pretty great, especially over an open flame. So yeah, I could see indeed. that. Indeed, yeah, indeed. And we've done a fair amount of uh, of that kind of uh, fruit treatment recently. We did a 
a beet beer and a carrot beer that uh, that involved uh, roasting the carrots and the beets to um, to kind of a deep Maillard um, kind of caramelization range, and uh, it's been that's been very fun. We did a, a uh, there's a smoked pear beer. Um, Andrew, you remember what the base beer is? That Odalette that's the base beer for the for the smoked pear. It is. So it's one of our first uh, Fruitacrafter uh, empties. So it's like a beer to guard um, that was lagered in um, the Fruitacrafter fruiters for eight weeks um, and then thrown into um, some breaks to hang out a little longer um, with a bunch of smoked pears. That's really cool. So, yeah, pear, pears, I guess, are on top of mind for me at the moment. I'm mindful of the time, but I, 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 I would love to just hear your thoughts on culinary creations in beer and, and using beer uh, for culinary purposes. So when you're talking about carrots and beets or, you know, peaches and, you know, I, all, all of these various things that you're doing, there, there's a lot of, you know, gimmick food beers out there these days. Like, hey, we took a, you know, a whole carrot cake and dumped it in the mash and here's our carrot cake IPA or, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes those taste good and they, they're, 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 they're fine and fun. Um, when you're thinking about you know, using you know, cooked ingredients, not just resting a beer on, on, on whole fruit or, you know, whatever, um, when you're thinking about manipulating a food before it goes into your beer, what's your approach? It's yeah. Andrew was talking earlier about how our, uh, how we approach beer is, a, is this fairly egalitarian collaborative approach. And so when we sit around as a group and talk about, you know, what shall we make next? Um, I think everybody approaches this differently. And so I, I can really only speak to how I'm oriented to it. Uh, and oftentimes it has to do with what I had for dinner last night. And, <laughs> and, and as I'm that's eating great. through yeah. whatever, whatever it is that I'm eating through, I'm, I'm thinking that is so good. And how, how can I incorporate whatever it is that's really tickling my palate right now into a beer? And so then I show up um, at, at our meeting and, and I say, well, you know, roasted beets, roasted carrots, how's that going to work in a beer? What should we, is that something that anybody else think sounds like an interesting idea those caramel notes and the and the slight char that you get and 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 you know if if everybody responds with that sounds really interesting then you know chances are pretty good we're going to make that beer at least on some kind of a small scale um and then occasionally he'll suggest something and and everybody will go i i don't think that's a good idea jeff <laughs> so we we don't do that one um, and, and I, I feel like that some version of that happens with, um, everybody else in that meeting, everybody just kind of brings ideas. Um, and it's, they're, they're often informed by either uh, a beverage that they've experienced, whether it's a cocktail or another beer or, um, or a soda or, you know, a, a food product and, um, or just a you know a general curiosity about how people are using food. One of the one of the ingredients that popped up recently was uh, black garlic, and could we 
could we do a beer with a black garlic? Black garlic is something where you, you take a, a head of garlic and you treat it for 90 days at a very, very low temperature. And it just, it, the, the Maillard reaction from that very long heat process turns it into this almost like a, a gummy candy. It's uh, yeah. and it's very savory and rich and chewy. Um, and so we're still trying to, I mean, that, that one's not off the table yet, but we haven't figured out what we would do with it. Uh, it can come from near or far. Well, yeah. A lot of it comes from the people that we work with. Um, you know, whether they're a farmer and they've got this fruit that, you know, they have available that, you know, they're looking to move or maybe they, we come to mind they um, are trying to think about what to do with it or it's fresh. So a lot of it's too just like talking to people and being connected to um the people that we work with to kind of source everything. Um, Alex, our foraging friend, you know, what has she got right now that she's really excited about that she can get large quantities of. Um, and then from there, kind of like playing around and testing in. And I think we're all just very curious people and we all love kind of exploring uh, things related to food in the culinary world and um, how things taste. And then um, kind of bring this back to earlier, you talked about how we approach things. Most of our stuff's fairly nuanced. Um, so it doesn't, in the same way that we're not about, you know, screaming sour beer or an IPA that punches you in the face, like our fruit and our um, vegetables or whatever else we're using in these beers as adjuncts aren't gonna, um, aren't gonna be over the top. Um, so we're using them in a more kind of subtle way. Like they're very much present and we can kind of pick them out uh, but it's not this over the top like an IPA or super sour beers. Well, everything that you guys are talking about gets me excited about getting on a plane and and, and going there and drinking with you guys in person and, and continuing on with these conversations. So um, I feel like I could, we could go on for hours and hours and hours and hopefully next time we can do that in person. But thanks yeah. for thanks for coming on and thanks for taking the time and and you know sharing insight it's it's always fascinating to hear you know the mind of brewers and, and 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 owners when you know there's really such cool dynamic things happening so i really appreciate you taking the time thanks for, thanks having, for having us yeah that graditsky is going to be available in the coming weeks it's delicious and if you have a chance to get a bottle don't sleep on the chance my thanks again to jeffrey and to andrew and honestly the beer shower was awesome and as always, you can reach me at John Hall, it's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com or follow along on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And if you love smoked beers, join the This Week in Rauk Beer conversation by getting into the group on Facebook or following TW Rauk Beer on Instagram and Facebook. And if you check out BeerEdge.com, you can see the official tasting glass of the group. Just look for our merch page. Beer Edge is on social media as well, at The Beer Edge, and we're online at BeerEdge.com. There you can find episodes of this show, the podcast hosted by Andy Crouch, articles to sign up for the newsletter, and more. And if you want to learn about advertising on this show, you can reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll tell you about our wonderfully affordable rates. And speaking of advertising, I'm really grateful to our sponsors, including Athletic Brewing. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to golden ales and more, they offer a full selection of beers at only 50 calories. And now, you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. 
Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Unlike any other beer club, the Rare Beer Club often works with breweries like The Lost Abbey, The Brewery, and American Solera to create craft beers made exclusively for members. They also bring in hard-to-find, exclusively imported selections such as Phantom's Magic Ghost, West 1112, and H.R. Fredrickson Vassal Brunch, an Amager-McKellar collaboration, which is a 10.7% ABV Imperial Oatmeal Stout aged in bourbon whiskey barrels with Vietnamese coffee. Wow. Their personalized shipment program allows members to customize each shipment and skip beers that you don't want to get. Get 50% off your first shipment when you sign up for an open-ended, ongoing membership at BeerMonthClub.com and use promo code DRINKRAREBEER. There's a two-shipment minimum. We're also sponsored by NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. If you like this show, consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help other people find the show. Don't forget to steal the spear every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Nate Schwaber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. And remember to defend Pilsner. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>